Chapter 3 of Max by Catherine Cecil Thurston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Chapter 3 It was eleven o'clock when the boy woke. All the excitement of the past days had culminated in the great exhaustion of the night before. He had slept as a child might sleep, dreamlessly, happily, unthinkingly. In that silent hour nature had drawn him into her wide embrace, lulling him with a mother's gentleness, and now, in the moment of waking, it seemed that again the same beneficent agency was dispensing love and favour, for he opened his eyes upon a changed world. A magician's wand had been waved over the city during his hours of sleep. The mist and oppression of the night had disappeared with the darkness. Paris was under the dominion of the frost. Instinctively, even before his eyelids lifted, the northern soul within him apprised him of this change. He inhaled the crisp coldness of the air with a vague familiarity. He opened his eyes slowly and stared about the unknown room in an instant of hesitating doubt. Then, with a great leap of the spirit, he recognised his position. Last night, the days and nights that had preceded it, flooded his consciousness, and in a moment he was out of bed and pulling back the drab-hued curtains that hid the window. Having freed the daylight, he leaned out, peering greedily down into the well-like court, where even the stunted trees in their painted tubs were coated white with rime. Then, with another impulse as quickly conceived as quickly executed, he drew back into the room, fired with the desire to be out and about in this newly created world. By day, the details of the room stood out with a prominence that had been denied them in the dim candlelight of the night before, and he realised now what had escaped him then, that there was neither dressing-table, wardrobe, nor chest of drawers, that the entire space of the small apartment was filled by the clumsy bed, a folding washstand, and two ponderous armchairs covered in shabby red velvet. These, with a dingy gold-framed mirror hanging above the tiny corner fireplace, and a gilt clock under a glass shade, formed the comforts purchasable for three francs. He studied it all solemnly and attentively, not omitting the grey wallpaper of melancholy design, and content that he had acquitted himself dutifully toward his surroundings, he unpacked his valise and proceeded to dress for the day's happenings. The contents of the valise were not imposing. A change of linen, a soft felt hat, a pair of shoes, and a well-worn blue serge suit. The boy looked at each article as he drew it forth with a quaint attentiveness quite disproportionate to either its appearance or its value. But the process seemed to please him, and he lingered over it, ceasing almost reluctantly to appraise his belongings, and beginning to dress. This morning he discarded the high Russian boots and the fur cap of yesterday, and arrayed himself instead, and with much precision, in the serge suit. Worn as this suit was, it evidently retained a pristine value in its owner's eyes, for no sooner had he fastened the last button of the coat than he looked instinctively for the mirror in which to study the effect. The mirror, unfortunately, was high, and, crane his neck as he might, he could see nothing beyond the waves of his short, dark hair and his eager, questioning eyes. But the effect must be observed, and, with an anxiety in seeming contrast to his nature, he pulled one of the massive velvet chairs to the fireplace, and, mounting upon it, surveyed himself at every angle with deep intentness. At last, satisfied, he jumped to the ground, and, taking the brown paper packet from the hiding-place where it had reposed all night, bestowed it again in the pocket of his overcoat, and, picking up the felt hat, left the room. 
The corridor, despite the advent of the day, was still dark, save where an occasional door stood ajar, and a shaft of sun from the outer world shot across the drab carpet. But Jean had been over the floor with his broom while the hotel slept, and the battered tray with its suggestion of hoarded festivity had been removed. Even here the electric air of the morning had made entry, and, yielding to its seduction, the boy gave rein to his eagerness as he hurried forward to the head of the stairs and laid his hand upon the meagre banister. From the hall below the white light of the day ascended with subtle invitation, while outside the world hummed with possibilities. He began the descent, light as a mercury, his feet scarcely touching the steps that last night had offered so toilsome a progress, and on the third floor he encountered Jean, bearing another tray laden with plates and covered dishes. At sight of the young man the good creature's smile broke forth irresistibly. "'Ah, but monsieur has slept!' The little eyes ran over the face and figure of the guest with visible pleasure. The boy laughed, the full light-hearted laugh that belongs to the beginning of things. "'Yes, I have slept. Now you may believe I have an appetite.' Jean echoed the laugh with a spontaneity that held no disrespect. He lingered, drawn, as the Irishman in the train had been drawn, by something original, something vital, in the youthful personality. "'His faith, but monsieur had the spirit as well as the appetite.' "'Ah, the spirit!' For a fleeting second the boy's eyes looked away beyond Jean, untidy, attentive, comprehending, beyond the neutral-tinted walls and the shabby carpet of the Hotel Rayot, seeing in vision the things that were to come. Then, with his swift impulsiveness, he flung his dream from him. What mattered the future? What mattered the past? He was here in the present, in the moment, and the moment, great or small, demanded living. Never mind the spirit, Jean. Let us consider the flesh. Where is the salle à manger? Uh, the salle à manger was on the second floor. The second floor, but of course, had not Jean mentioned that fact last night? With a nod and a smile, he was away down the intervening steps, and at the door of the eating-room, before Jean could balance his tray for his renewed ascent. The room that the boy entered was in keeping with the rest of the house, old-fashioned and in ill repair. The floor was devoid of covering, the ceiling low, the only furniture, a dozen small tables, meagrely set out for déjeuner. On the moment of his entry, eleven of these tables were unoccupied, but at the twelfth an eager young waiter attended upon a stout provincial Frenchwoman, who was partaking heartily of a pungently smelling stew. On the opening of the door the waiter glanced round in strained anticipation, and the lady of the stew looked up and bowed a greeting to the newcomer. It struck the boy as curious, this welcome from a total stranger, but it woke anew the pleasant warmth, the agreeable sense of friendliness. With the tingling sensation of doing a daring deed, he glanced round the empty room, scanned the two long windows on which the cold, bright sun played laughingly, and through which the rattle and hum of the Rue de Dunkerque penetrated like an exhilarating accompaniment. Then he walked straight to the table of the lady, smiled, and in his own turn bowed. "'Would madame permit me to sit at her table? "'It was sad to be alone upon such a fine morning.' "'A woman of any other nationality might have looked at him askance, "'but madame was French. "'She was fifty years of age, she was fat, she was ugly, "'but she was French. "'The sense of a pleasant encounter, "'gruciation of romance, was in her blood. "'She smiled at the debonair boy with as agreeable a self-consciousness "'as though she had been a young girl.' "'But certainly, if Monsieur desired, the pleasure was for her.' 
again an interchange of bows and smiles, sympathetically repeated by the interested young waiter. Then the boy, laying his hat and coat aside, seated himself at the table, and entered upon the business of the hour, while Madame became tactfully absorbed in her odiferous stew. Eh, what did Monsieur deserve? The waiter stood anxiously attentive, his head inclining gravely to one side, his dirty napkin swinging from his left hand. The boy glanced up. Oh, what could the Hotel Rayo offer? The waiter met his eyes steadfastly. Anything that Monsieur cared to order. The boy encountered the steadfast look, and a little gleam of humour shot into his eyes. Well, then, to begin with, should they say, Sol Valesca? The waiter's glance wavered. He threw the weight of his body from one foot to the other. Involuntarily, Madame looked up. The boy buried himself behind an expression of profound seriousness. Yes, Sol Valesca, or perhaps Kubiak à la Russe. The waiter's mouth opened in a desperate resolve to meet the worst. Madame's eyes discreetly sought her plate. The boy threw back his head and laughed aloud at his own small jest. Uh, "'Bring me two eggs en cocotte,' he substituted, and laughed again in sheer pleasure at the waiter's sudden smile, his sudden restoration to dignity, as he hurried away to put a seal upon an order that permitted the hotel to retain its self-respect. Again Madame looked up. Monsieur was fond of his little pleasantry. This waiter was a good boy, but slow. They did not keep a sufficiency of servants at the Hotel Rayot. But doubtless Monsieur had noticed that. The boy met her inquisitive glance with disarming frankness, but his words, when he answered, gave little information. No, he had not as yet had time to notice anything. But, of course, Monsieur was a new arrival. He had come... Uh, when was it? Madame appeared to search her memory. Yesterday. Uh, but, of course, yesterday. And what a day it had been, what weather for a long journey it had been a long journey, had it not? The boy looked vague. Oh, it had been of sufficient length. Madame toyed with the remnants of her stew. It had perhaps been a journey from England? Monsieur was not French, although he had so charming a fluency in the language. Her eyes, her whole provincial, inquisitive face, begged for information. But the boy was firm. "'We are each of the country God has given us,' he informed her. Then he added with convincing certainty that Madame was without doubt Parisienne. Madame bridled at the soothing little falsehood. "'Alas, nothing so interesting. She was of the provinces.' "'Provincial impossible!' At once the ice was broken. At once they were on the footing of friends, and Madame's soul poured forth its secret vanities. "'Monsieur was too kind.' No, she was provincial, though of a truth Paris was so well known to her that she might almost claim to be Parisienne. The boy's interest was undiminished. Might he venture to ask if it was pleasure alone that had brought Madame to the capital, or had business? Uh, he left the sentence discreetly unfinished. Madame pushed her empty place away and took a toothpick from the table. How observant was Monsieur! She eyed the bright young face with growing approval. Yes, business, alas, was the pivot of her visit. This terrible business, exacting so much, giving so little in return. She heaved a weighty sigh, then her fat face melted into smiles. But after all, what would you? She shrugged her ample shoulders, and the toothpick came into full play. What would you indeed? The boy began to feel a little disconcerted under her glance of slow approval. <laughs> 
and a swift sense of relief passed through him as the door opened and the waiter reappeared, carrying the two eggs. "'What would you indeed? One must live!' Madame, disregarding the waiter, continued to study the boyish face, the curious dark grey eyes in which the morning sun was discovering little flecks of gold. "'And every year conditions were becoming harder, as Monsieur doubtless knew.' Monsieur nodded his head sagely, and began to eat his eggs with keen zest. Madame looked slowly round at the waiter and ordered coffee, then her glance returned to the boy. "'How good, how refreshing it was to see him eat! How easy to comprehend that he was young!' She sighed again, this time more softly. "'Youth was a marvellous thing, and Paris was the city of the young. Was Monsieur making a long stay at the Hotel Royaume? The waiter again appeared and placed the coffee upon the table. Monsieur, suddenly and unaccountably uneasy, finished his eggs hastily and pushed his plate aside. Uh, did Monsieur desire coffee? Madame leaned forward. If so, it would be but the matter of a moment to procure a second cup, and as her coffee-pot was quite full, she raised the lid coquettishly, and again her eyes lingered upon the short dark hair and the straight brows above the grey eyes. The waiter, with ready tact, departed in search of the second cup. Madame replaced the lid of the coffee-pot. "'Now that they were alone, would it be an unpardonable liberty to ask how old Monsieur really was?' Monsieur blushed. "'How old would Madame suppose?' Madame laughed. "'Oh, it was difficult to say. One might imagine from those bright eyes that Monsieur had nineteen years.' But again it was impossible to suppose that a razor had ever touched that soft cheek. There was another little laugh, lower this time and more subtle in tone, and Madame, with a movement wonderfully swift considering her years and her proportions, leaned across the table and touched the boy's face. The effect was instant. A tide of colour rushed into his cheeks. He rose with an alacrity that was comic. He, he was much older than Madame supposed. Madame laughed delightedly. "'How charming! How ingenuous! He positively must sit down again. He was assured that they would become friends. Where was that waiter? Where was that second coffee-cup?' But Monsieur remained standing. Madame's eyes, now alive with interest, literally danced to her thoughts. "'Come, come, they must not allow the coffee to become cold.' But Monsieur picked up his hat and coat. "'What? He was not going? Oh, it was impossible! He could not be so unkind!' Her face expressed dismay. But her only answer was a stiff little bow, and a second later the door had closed and the boy was running down the stairs of the hotel as though some enemy were in hot pursuit. End of chapter 3